Welcome to The Five Things, this week in social. Each week, we grapple with all the top stories in social media, put them in a cage match until only the top five are left so that you can walk away the champion. Today, we'll be joined by the social media tag team of the year, Amanda Davis and Tommy Boyce. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Joey. Hi, Tommy. Amanda, did you play any sports growing up? Um, Funny you ask, because I was and I still am a champion basketball player, one of my favorite hobbies, and I could absolutely crush anyone in any kind of one-on-one or three-on-three. I completely believe that. And Tommy Boyce is here. Hi, Tommy. How are you? Hi, Joey. Also, new Amanda backdrop. Oh, my goodness. I know. Tommy, did you ever win anything that was completely a surprise to you that you didn't expect to win? One time in the third grade, I won a contest to be principal of the day for my elementary school. But it was a Monday, which was our half day when we were like in between like first and sixth grade. So I got cheated out of a full day of being principal. Thank you, Haycock Elementary Uh. in Northern Virginia. Well, I'm Joey Scarillo, and when I did my celebrity lookalike on Reels, I got The Rock, and I thought that was very interesting. All right, here are the five things. First off, Amanda kicks us off with Snapchat, who published their 2022 Snapchat Generation Report. Then Tommy tackles Twitter, who shared new travel trends. Twitter also tests new interactive ad settings, which Amanda will tell us about that. Tommy discusses a study that looks into the rise of virtual influencers. And finally, Amanda gets into Instagram, adding new messaging features. All right, let's rock and roll. Amanda, tell us about the Snapchat Generation Report. All right. So this week, Snapchat has just published their 2022 versions of its Snapchat generation report, which basically looks at how users are are using the app and connecting on it and specifically how brands can kind of align their messaging around these trends. There's a lot of really interesting information. The study was across 19,000 Snapchat users across 16 markets. So very global, 28 pages of content. We'll pull out some of the interesting facts and what they mean for the platform quickly. Snapchat claims that they're the number one platform where people enjoy sharing everyday life moments. So when you think about Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, obviously, you know, people are sharing their content and what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, but actually the amount of content and the repetition of how often people are sharing these things individually and with their larger feed is more often than these other platforms, which I found super interesting. And more specifically, 94% of users use use Snapchat to share personal moments or celebrations. Some examples they used include kind of parents sharing updates about their children or their family or these personal milestones. And it's interesting when we think about our conversation last week around TikTok almost becoming slightly less casual than it used to be. Snapchat is really replacing that day-to-day moment. It's a lot more personal. It's a lot more candid. It's a lot more private. So people of all ages are really flocking to that one-to-one messaging share or more closed feed messaging share to really use it on a day-to-day basis. The third interesting thing that we saw is that, again, Snapchat claims to be the number one platform for users sharing what they've purchased or share content when they're shopping. This is a slightly unique use case that I don't think we talk about very often. But a lot of people, when they are shopping in a physical store or they're trying to select what they want to buy or they have a clothing haul from an online retailer, they're using Snapchat to really say, you know, which color do we like? Should I keep this? You know, do these sunglasses look cute on me? And I think, again, that more personal interactive element that I don't think we've really thought about how that plays into brick and mortar retail.
retail commerce is really a huge use for Snapchat and, and kind of a really interesting use case for brands to think about how they can supplement the in-store experience. The last interesting fact is that 93% of users are interested in AR shopping. So we've seen this with makeup, with fashion, and kind of these obvious translations of products from digital to the real world. But understanding, you know, these AR capabilities, especially a company like Snap that's really revolutionized their lens company, as they call it, is really impressive. And you can kind of start to see how this might translate into other industries that you might not think of, you know, thinking of shopping for a laptop and being able to see what size you have, shopping for a TV and seeing it on your wall and understanding, you know, what's the resolution and size that you want to get, looking at car interiors, which one feels like, you know, it suits you and is something that you would want to be inside. And again, understanding personalized beauty and skincare through this interactive AR that kind of creates a recommendation. So really cool new uses of AR on the platform. And again, these users are really interested and familiar with this technology. Fascinating place for brands to kind of dive in and see how that might translate to their product. Yeah, wow. A lot there to unpack. And so, you know, when these brands put out these reports, obviously, they have a reason. There's something that they want people to know, something about their platform they want to talk about. So Tommy, I always like to ask, what jumps out to you? Were there any surprises in this from Snapchat? I think what jumps out to me is that Snapchat has really found its niche in the last few years with it being the place to go to to share real-time, real moments of your life. We've seen how people trying to make Instagram casual again hasn't really panned out in the long run, even in the sort of photo dumps that people do on Instagram, that new user behavior. There's still a lot of thought and intention put behind those photo dumps. Whereas a Snapchat, it's just literally what you're doing in this moment that you feel like posting. There's no kind of tension and how you're going to be perceived because it's all just your closest friends on the app, probably that you're sending these to or posting it on your story with. I think it's a really great case of Snap finding their way through this crowded marketplace and being the spot to be a sort of real person online. And so brands have to approach Snap differently. They have to approach it really on the one-to-one case of people use this as a way to communicate, to post real updates, to have real interaction in a way that's different than presenting yourself on Instagram or kind of just firing off rapid fire takes into the void with Twitter or Facebook being used as Facebook is used by older audiences nowadays. So it's a very unique kind of environment online. But that means there's a lot of great opportunity for us to show up and play in because it's so different than the rest of the competition. So to me, this is just another indication of how special and unique Snap is. And I think that brands have to really understand that they need to approach it in a way that is different than other platforms. Yeah. And you make a good point, Tommy, because while a lot of platforms like TikTok and Instagram really focused on their algorithm and how do they bring specific new types of content to people in their feed, this is almost the opposite. You know, when you share a picture of your family or a moment in your life on Snapchat, you know that this won't be served to a larger audience. This won't kind of gather any attention that you don't originally intend it to. And so it's almost like preserving that more personal consumer experience in the long run is really how Snap is carving out their niche here where other platforms are focused on really perfecting that algorithm and bringing new content to people. All right. Spring is here, my friends, and we are all thinking about travels. And so is Twitter. So Tommy, tell us what Twitter has going on. Yes. So obviously, COVID restrictions are lightning again in many places. So travel is back on the table. And Twitter knows this and released a report with insights into how users are tweeting about holiday and travel topics and what brands need to know about the latest trends. Some key things from the reports point out there is an increase in travel-related tweets that include 
include recommending keywords. And that actually trend increased 28% from last year by recommendation-oriented keywords. The volume of travel tweets during the summer of 2021 was 70% higher than the yearly average of travel tweets. And some fun subtopics that receive a lot of attention on Twitter are experience travel, like backpacking and hiking, and also tweeting about accommodations, you know, hostels, Airbnb, etc. And a lot of trending keywords they found include things like, you know, concerts, festivals, explorations, etc. And so the key takeaway is that people are traveling again, which is very exciting. I mean, the other day, I was just asked if I had plans for the summer. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I can have plans again, I can go places. And so it's a great reminder that a major way that people use social is to vet ideas and hear feedback from others on their experiences, especially on Twitter with that one to one conversation. And also to, you know, plan for trips and experiences. Twitter allows users to get direct feedback and have conversations. Pinterest allows, you know, the mood board kind of type of planning that's famous for. Instagram allows us to see other people's adventures and take notes on it. So this whole avenue is now back open to us. And it's something that we can take note of and start planning for. I'm sure that listeners who work in the hospitality space are very happy to hear about these upward trends. I know that this will be a really great space for us to play in the future now that people are really starting to engage in this sort of behavior again and make this back a part of their lives. Yeah, Tommy, you mentioned folks in the hospitality realm, and that makes me wonder, of course, again, with these reports, Amanda, who do you think this report was for? So I definitely think that this report zooms out a little bit and even talks about this overarching travel trend, which not to pull everything back to Web3, but does feel a little Web3 led in that a lot of people are really looking for that path less travel. They're looking for those recommendations that feel more personalized, asking a friend for, you know, an experience that they had that's really interesting versus necessarily Googling something or finding something through an algorithm or a machine that they might not be tapped into or feel personal to them. So I think, you know, Twitter is one place where this is happening and I'm sure it's happening in other platforms too, but really for hospitality, travel marketing, destination marketing to understand how people are discovering this information and be able to to cater accordingly. Yeah, all very interesting stuff. All right, let's stay on Twitter and let's talk about the new interactive ad settings that they put out. Amanda, why don't you break that down for us? All right, so this is actually really exciting for, you know, brand marketing dorks like us. But Twitter is adding three new ad formats. I'm going to walk through them, but definitely please take a look at the links that we're including and you can see examples of this. So the first one that they're testing is called interactive text ads. And this essentially looks like your existing video photo units with a post copy. But the interesting part is in the post copy, the advertiser can actually highlight three words in the caption highlight with a color and allow those to link out to different pages on their site. So they include an example from Oreo cookie around custom cakes where you customize it. And I'm sure the customized link sends you to a customization page. You can click Oreo, probably see some more of the offerings. You can click gift and see, you know, other gift options there. So one, being able to include multiple link outs and two, being able to showcase these keywords in a way that's some stopping for lack of better word and draws people in is quite interesting. The second new unit is called product explorer ads. And this is, again, built on your you know standard media unit, but now includes 3D display options that users can interact with. They can rotate the 3D model and see it from different angles, as well as different colors. So we've seen this on Facebook, and I think some other platforms have added you know 3D rendering capabilities. What's really interesting about Twitter adding this is I immediately have to think about you know digital goods and NFTs and how this might help even more so for users to understand how digital twins can be attached from a physical item to a digital item, create more of an engaging experience, and again, see products in ways that they never have been able to before. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how Twitter evolves this and uses it in a new Web3 context. The last 
this new unit is called Collection Ads. And this essentially lets brands showcase a hero image with smaller images underneath that the user can scroll through horizontally. And each of these can actually drive to a different product page. So again, just a more engaging way that people can interact with the unit all within their feed, all understand a little bit of what is the right content for them, what do they want to interact with and have a different experience there. So all of these are are available to select advertisers, not a full launch, but we love to see Twitter doing kind of new experimental units and, and features being added all the time. Yeah. Tommy, we know features come and go. If you could just use your crystal ball here, which one do you think will be the stickiest? Which one do you think will last the longest? I think the 3D one it jumps out to me as being very fascinating. And I know other platforms have had it, but now it's Twitter's first kind of step into this direction. I think that the collection of ads feature is going to be really great for showing off. It's, it's sort of like, I guess, Twitter's version of the carousel ad famous for Facebook and Instagram. And I think this will allow users and brands to have a lot more potential to show off different products they have, a feature or products, a collection of sorts. I think of how this could help both small businesses, but also larger businesses just showing the sheer array of products they have. I think it's going to be a really great sort of native way of integrating this already kind of popular way of advertising onto this platform. And I will say the first feature with the sort of pop-up like colored words, that to me stuck out as maybe one that isn't maybe the most helpful in the fact that it's so non-native looking that immediately screams like add, 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 that I'm worried that users will not respond well to it. Maybe they will. Maybe there'll be interesting ways of playing with it and making it work in the future. But to me, I saw that and I was like, oh, I don't think I'd want to use that immediately because it's so sort of not what people come to this platform for. And I could see maybe some, you know, resentment or negative affects going your way for using it. But I think the collection of ads one is very sticky. And I think people are definitely going to flock to that one. Yeah, very cool. I can't wait to see these in practice and just sort of see how people react to them. All right, let's jump over to our fourth thing here. All right, Tommy, tell us about this new study that looks at the rise of virtual influencers. So there's a new report from the Influencer Market Factory that dove into the world of virtual influencers. For those of you who don't know, virtual influencers or VIs are digital computer generated characters with social media accounts that have human characteristics and personality traits. They're essentially avatars, allowing audiences to form a connection with essentially a piece of software. The report detailed that VIs have been trending and more brands are partnering with these characters for making marketing campaigns, brand deals, and ambassadorships. The VI market size was already $4.6 billion in 2018 and is expected to grow to $5.8 billion by 2025. On Instagram, there are already 35 VIs on the platform. The survey found that 58% follow at least one VI. People aged 35 to 44 were actually the most likely to trust a VI and 35% of responders have bought a product or service promoted by a VI. I was pretty surprised by these results of the survey. I personally find VIs to be, you know, a little creepy, both in terms of the uncanny valley sense and also for what they could represent. But other people clearly do not feel the same way. They're out here following and buying from VIs. So it seems that the tide is turning and that there's a lot of opportunity out there for brands to jump on and harness this trend while still being ahead of the curve. It's still pretty early days. I think there's a lot of positives to using VIs. You fully control their output and aesthetic. You know, a VI will never be canceled because of, you know, past events or a thing they could say. And there's a real novelty to them that can make for some really interesting work and headlines. So I think this report proves that VIs are definitely something worth looking into and creating campaigns around. 
So I want to ask a question to both of you. Let's talk a little bit about some examples of VIs and what types of brands have embraced them and should embrace them. Can we jump into that a little bit, Amanda? Yeah. And I think to Tommy's point about the Uncanny Valley is that the VIs that are most popular are ones that are quite obviously not trying to be a human. Again, it's we're still early in the Web3 era and the Metaverse era where most users, especially those that grow up on Web1 and Web2, don't really want to interact with something that feels a little bit eerie and a little bit uncomfortable. And is perhaps too um, intelligent from an artificial knowledge lens. So I think, Joey, to answer your question, the, the places that are finding a lot of success, I would say art avenues, things like fashion, design, digital artwork, places where you're really not bogged down with the physical realities of the real world. So when you can create a dress that lets you float in space or a design that can change based on specific factors of the external world, again, understanding how is creativity unlocked when we bring it solely to life in a digital setting. It's the same reason why people will spend more time in the metaverse and these, you know, concert experiences or events that, again, feel like something much different than what we can achieve in the physical world. It's not about trying to make it so realistic. It's about evolving past the physical realities that we have. So that, I, I would say, is probably where a lot of these VIs are, are gaining a lot of traction. It is from an art sense and a design sense. But I'm really curious to see how this equates into entertainment and music and film. There's a lot of really talented people who maybe don't feel comfortable putting their face or their identity or, you know, who they are as a physical human person, but do want to put their work out into the world and can use virtual influencers to do that. It's what we call the post-identity movement. Wow. The post-identity movement sounds like a new Michael Bay movie. All right. Tommy, do you have any additional thoughts on this? VIs have already been around for a while. And I thought back to, do you guys know Hatsune Miku? I don't. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Hatsune Miku is um, a Japanese virtual pop star. Like literally their CGI holographic pop star that was at Coachella in 2019 to give you an indication of her success. It's been around since I think the early 2010s. So this is already there. And I think, again, a way to avoid the uncanny valley and lean into this post-identity trend is just going full computer, full virtual. I think people will be a lot more receptive to and have been receptive to in the past. Okay, wow. A lot to take in as somebody who is not on the forefront of all this technology. This spooks me out a little bit, but I'm ready to embrace it. All right, let's jump into our fifth and final thing of the day, Instagram's new messaging features. There's quite a few, including quick replies, music sharing, new chat themes. Amanda, tell us all about them. All right. The platform devs have been busy this week. Instagram has added a bunch of new messaging features. And we know that they've previously highlighted messaging as a really important part of the app. And we can probably speculate that it's driving a lot of the user activity. So it makes sense that they're they're dialing in a little bit more and making this more intuitive to the way that people are socializing. So the first new feature feature, reply while you browse. It's similar functionality to if you have an iPhone, the way that iMessage or SMS pops up at the top, it gives you a banner while you're in the app. And you can actually drag down a message, tap it and reply without interrupting your scrolling. So really small change, but again, keeps people in the app, makes it a little bit more intuitive to how they're probably operating in other messaging platforms. The second is quick send. So when you see a post or probably a meme that you want to send to friends, you can select that little airplane icon like you usually do. But if you long press it, it will actually show up the probably top four users that you usually message and again, send it direct to them. The goal here not to disrupt that endless scroll experience that I'm sure Instagram finds a lot of success in. The third new feature um, is online indicators. And if someone has, you know, the online now feature activated on their account, this will essentially put them in a row of users on your DM panel who are currently online with a little glowing green circle that says that they're active. If, you know, you randomly want to 
hit someone up for a chat. If you're familiar with Tinder, this is very similar to how you can see users that are online now. Again, the goal here is to promote more of that casual DM messaging that you might normally go to text message or another app to do. Again, only for users that have the online now feature activated. In the group chat, they've added some new options. So, you know, over the last week or two, we've seen them roll out shortcuts. Again, similar to the way that people communicate on work apps like Slack, where you can tag at everyone or at silent to deliver a, a quiet message. There's some other shortcuts where you can get to GIF inclusion, payment options, things like that. Again, just trying to make it a little bit more intuitive to how people use other messaging apps. They've also added polls in your group chat. So if you're planning an event or trying to make decisions with a group of people, you can do that. They've added some new chat themes so you can customize it with different colors and template options. And then lastly, for the group chat specifically, they've added more streamlined options to share music with friends in that DM setting. So Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, finding ways to include a 30-second clip all within the app so that people can can interact and share music and songs specifically together. Obviously, this is interesting to think about how friends may use this across their music, but also, you know, thinking about how a DJ or a music artist might be able to provide access to supporters through a private DM or when you're collaborating on content as a creator, how can you kind of do this more seamlessly in the app and keep everything, you know, right there on the platform together. So a lot of new updates all rolling out together What we do know is that Instagram is owned by Meta, who obviously owns Facebook, Facebook Messenger, and WhatsApp. So really, I'm I'm sure that what they're doing is testing a lot of these features. I'm sure they have a lot of learnings and understandings how these are used across other apps. I would not be surprised if over the course of a year or more, we start to see these platforms and these messaging capabilities really interoperable. So if you send a message on Facebook, it's just as easy to kind of get that same experience across that, perhaps including WhatsApp as well. And, you know, last year, we saw a lot of the platforms chasing each other, the social platforms chasing different functionality that one was adding and another adding. And I really think that Meta has a chance to really trailblaze the communication and the messaging version of what these apps are used for, knowing that they have three of, I'm assuming, the top messaging apps on the market globally, understanding what kind of learnings and features they can add there that feel most intuitive to the user. So I feel like they're they're kind of onto something. I'm excited to see how this progresses. <clears throat> My Instagram usage has been a lot higher lately for some reason. I just feel like I've been on the app a lot more and I think these features are really doing a good job of keeping us there. Tommy, do you think these features will keep you scrolling? I definitely think so. I really think the music feature is especially exciting. Now you'll be able to send people snippets and songs instead of just posting on your story in the hopes that people swipe up or ask about it. That's great. I think Instagram is finding a really unique way of prolonging the life of their platform and making it something interesting and unique out of it through this messaging. And the fact that they're really trying to buff it out and prioritize it and already add that on top of Facebook becoming, you know, a messaging app with Messenger and WhatsApp and really making that a part of, I guess, Meta's like core principle having these messaging apps is very exciting. And I think looking into the future, I think Meta is going to take obviously all of these sort of platform messaging tactics and use it towards their metaverse goal and talking about ways of communicating one-on-one and group chats. I think it's just making the most streamlined process possible in terms of buffing out Instagram as a messaging app. It's going to do a lot for increasing engagements. I think it's going to really change user behavior on the app. So brands should take note of people using it, not just as a photo sharing app, not just as a video sharing app, but one that's totally, you know, soup to nuts messaging as well. Yeah, well, it is amazing how much can change in a decade. I remember when Instagram was just about finding the coolest filter to put on your phone of your brunch, but now it's one of the biggest communication apps. So good on them. Things evolve, things change quickly. And we're 
talking about all of it here. All right, friends. Well, that does it for us today. I've got some exciting news to share. Our sibling podcast, Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, was nominated for a Webby for Best Creativity and Marketing Podcast. If you are a fan of that show, please support us by voting. And if you haven't heard Gray Matter yet, all episodes are available now wherever you get your podcasts. And if you don't already, be sure to follow us on this podcast on your favorite podcast apps. And be sure to share this episode with your friends, family, clients, or coworkers. And if you've got questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, email us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank Amanda and Tommy for joining us. And thanks to Danielle and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios, who always make us sound good. And finally, thank you, listener. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.